Quiet on the set. Okay, everybody, quiet on the set. Scene one, take ten, Marker. Studio of WHUPLP Hillsboro. Welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo. Over the next hour together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, build the rocket, boys. We'll talk about the state of science fiction with filmmaker, film scientist Alex Proyas. Welcome. Welcome to Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo. I'm the founder of the Modern School of Film and really excited to be with you every week live on WHUP LP Hillsboro. We're also available all the time on iTunes. You can download us, Google Play as well, and Stitcher. Uh, we have a website, murmurradio.com. We have social stuff via at MSF Murmur, at MSF Murmur. We're also going to be we're also going to be on the road uh, in the next couple of months. Uh, we'll be in Boston at the Sinclair Theater. Actually, it's Cambridge for those of you listening in New England. Cambridge, Mass. The Sinclair with uh, Glenn Hansard talking about movies called In Pictures. Go to our website, modernschoolfilm.com. For tickets, go to the Sinclair website for tickets as well. March 1st at the Sinclair. We're also going to be in Chicago a couple of times over the next few months. I don't know if I can announce anything yet. Maybe we'll wait wait a week. But we will um, be in Chicago doing an event. Uh, I love going to Chicago. It's one of my favorite cities. We'll be there in April and May. I'll, I'll wait another rotation before I give you that information, but we'll be there. So Boston, March 1st, uh, Chicago soon after. Welcome to Murmur. Good to have you here. Uh, today on the show is filmmaker Alex Proyas, uh, filmmaker. He's also directed some music videos uh, early on in his career, some really cool crowded house music videos. Uh, Alex will be coming... Uh, from uh, he'll be with us from Australia, not coming here, but he'll be on Skype. We're going to talk about the state of science fiction. This is a series of episodes and talks I want to do on the state of film. The first one is the state of science fiction. In no particular order, we're addressing these. Uh, so first up is state of science fiction. We're going to do more of these. Alex, 
is really gracious to be with us. Busy guy. Uh, he directed The Crow, uh, Dark City, which was really sort of masterpiece of science fiction. I Robot, which I actually think is an underrated film. I know that was a tough production for Alex. Be that as it may, I think it was. I think it's an underrated film. Alex will be with us. So let's start a little bit with sci-fi before we bring in Professor Proyas. I always um, wrap my brain around sci-fi. And today we're going to be locating science fiction as science fiction film. So this series will be about films. Alex's tradition is, I think he grew up loving sci-fi literature before film. If we look at sci-fi films or talk about it for a second, uh, I always maintain film is, is a a great delivery system for science fiction because film itself is science fiction, to be a little cute about it. Also, I think sci-fi reaffirms the thing that film does really well, which is it creates artificiality, artificial intelligence, if, if you will. Everything in a film is fake, is false, from the sound to the image to uh, the costuming to the sky in a sense, or the, and in this case, the stars. So science fiction, you, the, the, the creators of film science fiction are literally creating this world. So I find it to be the most cine, one of the most cinematic of genres. The, to me, there's no more cinematic. They're equally cinematic, and we'll talk about that in our series. I also think, and it's hard, I also think students, film students who try their hand at uh, sci-fi experimentation find that reality, that science fiction is is an ult, is the ultimate confection, moving confection, and I think cinema does that really well. You know, we're in a time now where science fiction has been categorized, decategorized, recategorized. You know, we have superhero films, we have comic book films, we have uh, fantasy films. That's that's one I couldn't. I struggle with what is a fantasy film. To me, all films are fantasy. I understand that these labels are for convenience and for video store shelving purposes. Although, maybe we can go back to what they were because there are no more video stores. But science fiction, to me, conjures a very precise image. Um, But I do think there's a wide canal of it. Uh, there are films, sophisticated views of science fiction, something like The Wizard of Oz. I want to ask Alex about, you know, is Wizard of Oz science fiction? I know Salman Rushdie, who who I've done discussions with, waxes rather poetic about that film. Do these do these terms mean anything? Well, I, they do to a great number of people. So I find when you talk to the practitioners about them, we can then determine does it mean something to them. I think science fiction is also in a new day now, and it's interesting. There's some, there's a really fun marriage, really curious marriage between science fiction and politics. Science fiction, again, is the ultimate film metaphor. It handles political messaging really well. Thinking of Children of Men, really great film, which to me is, you know, we're living on the precipice of Children of Men. 1984, which we've talked about, maybe the not the film so much, but the book. But the film is also a really interesting film. 
Snowpiercer uh, is another film, you know, talking about different forms of the outsider, illegal aliens, xenophobia. So I think science fiction emblematically is back. I don't think it ever left, but I think emblematically we realize, we can realize the metaphor of it all. And not only science fiction is standing for larger metaphors, it is it is nearly becoming documentary. Again, you know, look in a, a film like Children of Men, you, taking on issues from gender issues in society, fertility issues in society, and therefore religious issues, uh, travel bans, <laughs> um, travel itself, national heritages, Children of Men is a film that I did a discussion a few years back with the late, kind, late, great Wes Craven. I know it was a particularly important film to him. But again, what complicates the genre, or I don't think it complicates it, I think it enhances it, but we're going to complicate it because that's why you're listening. You want your life to be complicated. You know, a, a film that we may or may not have talked about on a weekly basis here, Blade Runner, has multiple genres, and so does Dark City. Dark, Dark City, Alex's film, has noir in it, has crime in it, has uh, up the body politic in it. So I think another reason why sci-fi is so res- resonant and iconoclastic and bulletproof is because it it is it is a receptacle. <laughs> is that the right word? for multiple forms in a way that I don't think most films are, most film genres are, film styles are. So it it, it rings a bell, you know, and, and again, I, I also think science fiction, and this is not to denigrate performance, is, is, is kind of larger than performance. It's its own form of, it's, it's almost film as performance. You know, something Ridley Scott wanted to do with Alien, which he did at the time was cast... Uh, relative unknowns, and he did. That was Sigourney Weaver's first film. Not only relative unknowns, but f- actors who w- weren't exactly in the blazing hot spotlight at the time. And he was able to do that. So I think sci-fi, it doesn't dwarf performance, but I think it recalibrates performance. And I know for me, that's often refreshing. It it, it allows a different view. Sometimes it it can distract from a really great performance. I actually think Sigourney Weaver's performances in those films are, in the Alien films are great. So science fiction has its hands in a lot of, a lot of pie here. So we need a, a master chef to go through this, uh, this, um, these, these, uh, this buffet with us. And we have one. Alex Broyas coming up on Murmur. First this. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Parlez-vous français? No. 
I beg your pardon, but my English is not good too. <laughs> I want to share with you now the breakthrough that happened in India. We say it means something. We say it is important. To help you learn, I am using the head sign created by Zoltan Kodai. Kodai developed this sign to teach music to deaf children. Alors voici le premier son. Le premier son, s'il vous plaît. Voici le deuxième son. Quatrième son, c'est la même chose.
Philip K. Dick once said, if you think this universe is bad, you should see some of the others. Um, he must have seen this coming, and I don't mean Donald Trump. I mean uh, the race to the science fiction universe uh, on screen and on computers. Um, is this a race to space or is this a race to the bottom? Well, once in a while, we like to check in with uh, the masters of the universe. And there's no greater master of the sci-fi universe than today's guest on Murmur. Um, we are calling him. He is 16 hours ahead of us in time, but uh, millennia in vision. Uh, please welcome to Murmur into the Modern School of Film, Mr. Alex Proyas. Professor Proyas, how are you, sir? Hi, Robert. Uh, very well. Thank you very much. It's a lovely introduction. And uh, yes, Australians do live in the future. So, <laughs> so we have, a, we have a, uh, a vision of what's what's yet to come. So uh, not just me, but my, my entire country, well, all my countrymen. So. Well, you just explained California to me. Finally, you explained Los Angeles. Because if you're the future, they're the past. So that, there, there you have it. Um, but we'll, we'll get to Hollywood. I want to start with you. Thank you for taking the time. I guess let's start with what I call a firm grasp of the obvious. Uh, we wanted to talk to you about the state of science fiction. I, define the word science fiction on your terms. Um, well, gee, that's a, that's a hard one. I, you know, I grew up at a time where uh, science fiction literature was being uh, uh, it, it was evolving into something called speculative fiction, yeah. which in some ways actually describes it a lot better than science fiction. You know, the term science fiction comes from the 1920s or 30s. I'm not quite sure when that was uh, originated, but it's a very old-fashioned expression. Mm. And I guess it was trying to say that science was kind of uh, allowing us to move forward and to... to, uh, to shape our future and also uh, uh, predict our future in some ways, you right, know. And right. science fiction as a genre, I think, has evolved very much away from that into something that's far more uh, uh, humanity-based, perhaps. Um, and and science is something that, you know, now in our modern age, we don't, we're, you know, we're a little cynical of it. We're not, we don't have, we don't fully entrust that it, it's always going to do the right thing, you know, mm, and, and yeah. it's going to take us to the right place. Um, so I, I guess for me, that's, uh, you know, I prefer that term in many ways than, than purely the term. My fear is that we have a climate change genre of filmmaking, uh, but maybe you and I won't be here at that point uh, in humanity. Hopefully we can avoid that. Um, it's interesting looking at some of your early film influences. You said at around eight years old is when you saw Lawrence of Arabia, um, which is sort of a big film, and, and also around that time, uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. But you said you were slightly hesitant at that time to called 2001 science fiction because the term wasn't you hadn't really embraced that term um, I'm, ima I'm imagining 2001 clocks in as sci-fi for you now in retrospect yeah I, I think so I mean you know movie science fiction is obviously very different to to uh, literary science fiction right. you know and I, right. I grew up uh, reading the stuff, uh, very much embracing that genre in in in, in literature, um, and movies very rarely uh, lived up to the possibilities of what the literary science fiction uh, could could come up with. You know, right. um, you know, uh, two thousand one obviously is one of the very few exceptional, uh, you know, cinema experiences that create a kind of uh, uh, a cinematic equivalent to this um, 
philosophical uh, uh, um, exploration of ideas, which yeah. I think is what science fiction is so great at doing. Um, and it's one of the very one of the, one of the very few. You know, they come along once every few few decades or few years i guess um, yeah yeah you 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 uh gave us one as well and we'll get to that a little bit um uh, but i i agree with you it's funny also i tell my students a lot film is science fiction it's literally sci- the science of technology and the fiction yeah, sure. of design and performance so it's it, it's apropos that film does science fiction well but as you suggest as a whole literary tradition that f- film couldn't be without without philip k dick and Isaac asimov and uh, frank herbert you know, we don't have screenwriting anymore. <laughs> you know, Philip K. Dick is the best living screenwriter. <laughs> He's not alive. Uh, not to micromanage this, but I, I want to micromanage it because I I want you to fend me off. Uh, Wizard of Oz is a film that you said is a, you liked as a child or as a youth. Is that a science fiction film? Um, again, it's it's hard for me to to quantify that description you know science fiction as a term as a genre label um i employ i use that in a very different way to perhaps the way it was intended Mm -hmm. um uh, uh, to, to explain that what i mean by that um for me i what i'm trying to do with my own movies is create um a mythology a meaningful personal mythology and a landscape that has some, again, personal resonance to me, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, for me, that's the fun of making movies. And 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 what you said is, is very true, and I believe that all movies are science fiction. You know, all movies create their own reality in that respect. They create their own world. And that's what I loved about movies. That's why I embraced, you know, movies like Lawrence of Arabia equally as much as I did 2001 right, um, or right. Stalker because – they're all for me they're all kind of the same thing you know um yeah so cinematically to me uh creating a reality creating an an, an alternate world an alternate reality is kind of partly what 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 i think of as science fiction and to that extent i guess yeah wizard of oz is kind of a science fiction movie in that respect well it's interesting i just did a talk with salman rushdie who's who also waxes very poetic about Wizard of Oz and and puts it in that place as well. And again, I'm not trying to sound too academic here. I just you two, a, a lot of the the modern cinema lovers, you know, plus the fanboy, plus the ain't it cool news culture. You have a lot of uh, people who look to you as an arbiter, as an inadvertent arbiter of these terms. So not to bog you down with them. I'm just curious. We're speaking with Alex Proyas here on Murmur. I want to talk a little bit about. It's funny talking about Dark City. I just want to skip a stone over it because I wasn't sure if you were aware. George R. R. Martin called it his seventh fav- most favorite uh, fantasy film. Uh, he issued a list of his ten favorite fantasy films, and Dark City was seven. Did, did you know that? No, I didn't know that. No, no that's a great tell. Then, then let me make you uh, blush a little bit. He says... Um, Alex Price's masterpiece is a hard film to categorize. Now, this is George R.R. R. Martin. I could have easily put it on my top 10 science fiction films, just as easily on my top 10 horror films, and my and it would not have been out of place on my finest noir films. They don't get much more noir than this. In the end, though, it feels more like fantasy. I guess I'm piggybacking that not to make you self-conscious, but as you say, it seems like Dark City had it mixed a tradition of your loves and different genre fascinations. And, and Yes, of course. Yeah. 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 
and and he's um he's very perceptive. He's a he's a wonderful writer, and obviously obviously, uh, and also very perceptive about Dark City. Um, you know, Dark City started off as a kind of surreal homage to uh, I don't know Louis Bunuel. You know, it was wow. you know, and Tarkovsky. You know, yeah. it was it yeah. was not. Uh, it was not. I didn't sit down and and decide to write a what I would quantify as a science fiction movie. Um, it sort of evolved into one, you know, because uh, being a Hollywood movie, you know, uh, science fiction as a genre term, as a genre label, um, is a convenient a convenient thing to apply to something because it helps you, you know, sell the movie. It yeah. helps yeah. studio it- understand what it is that you're trying to do, you know, and it, it, for a long time, studios didn't understand what science fiction meant. Now they, they sort of think they do. <laughs> so it actually helps um, to be able to, 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 you know, say, is it a Western? Is it a, is it a, uh, a musical? Is it a science fiction movie? You know, it, it, it's, it's a way to, uh, to uh, encapsulate what something is, you know, but it, it, it didn't really change the, the essence of what the movie, uh, what the screenplay was, and what the movie became, which is, it is, it is a kind of, uh, as I was saying before, uh, an attempt to create my own personal mythology and my own personal reality um, mm-hmm. that meant something to me that wasn't really using, you know, science fact as a way to springboard into this reality. It, it, it um. It's kind of its own thing, really, if that makes any sense. Just don't say it's an alternative fact. I think if you stay clear of that <laughs> term, we'll be okay. I uh, speak with Alex Preuss. I want to uh, segue a little bit into our main or act two of our talk here, which is the current state of sci-fi. I'm going to leave it leave it open and just sort of start with that. Where are we now? You know, I've I've uh, I've kind of bombarded you with uh, definitions a little bit, but. What is this current state of modern science fiction as it relates to moving imagery, whether it's short-form content, long-form content? Is this a good time? Are are things changing? Are you optimistic? How do you feel about the current uh, palette of sci-fi? You know, I I was becoming very optimistic at a certain point. I think maybe uh, in the early 2000s, I started to feel that perhaps things were shifting and that we could embrace uh, more intellectual, more philosophical uh, uh, ideas and stories in, in movies. Um, but, you know, now as we sit here, Robert, I don't know that things are that different from what they've ever been, which is it's, it's rare that a, an intelligent um, uh, science fiction movie uh, appears on the horizon. It's extremely rare. It always has been. And it, you know, it sadly probably always will be. Um, you know, I, there's a lot of stuff right now that people misconstrue. I think to be, uh, well, my my description of a science fiction movie. You know, all, all the all the comic book movies that are around right now, for me, are just kind of really they're they're dressed up, amped up action movies. You know, I don't really see them exploring. Um, the, the sort of uh, the, the, the philosophical aspects that that uh, science fiction um, embraces, you know. Um, I I, uh, I was impressed with uh, Arrival. I thought Arrival was a really great, um, uh, you know, old-fashioned in many ways 
science fiction story. I thought it was very well done, and I think um, uh, it 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 did what uh, science fiction often uh, uh, tries to do, which is to give you a whole different perspective of something, gives you a whole different way of looking at something. You know, um, but you know those sorts of movies are, are, are extremely rare. They're very hard to get made. Um, it's a miracle, really, if anything like that actually uh, sneaks through the, the the fence these days. You know, it's 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 as unlikely as it always was. You know. Um, well, you, you said something about while you were uh, digging in on Paradise Lost you, that you you almost had to say to yourself, "I'm surprised they're letting me make this movie," in, until they didn't let you make this movie. I, I think it's almost a miracle any movie gets made. But as you suggest, a movie with real detail, originality, and ambition. Uh, good God! <laughs> I mean, that's what's what's harder than a miracle, you know. Um, well, then I guess you know I didn't want to go through individual titles, but I, I just you know, as you talk about Arrival in the hands of a skilled craftsman, Denis Villeneuve is doing now Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Does that give you any inch more hope, or is that does that? I'm I'm not a fan as you. Probably no. I'm not a fan of of, of sequels or remakes. Um, I, I you know Blade Runner, and again, let's we're getting on specific titles, which I which I didn't really want to do. Let's say movies like Blade Runner, um, uh, uh, movies like Star Wars, the original Star Wars, right. have a very specific um, place in in the movie landscape. Um, it's so hard to. Uh, re-energize in, in any nostalgic sense what those movies meant at the time that they were made. Right, right. It's really, really hard to do. So, you know, who knows? I mean, the Blade Runner sequel may end up being a very good movie, but um, to me, I, I, you know, for, for those reasons, I'm just not a fan of remakes and sequels and... And, and reboots and... And, and, yeah. and reboots and all the stuff that Hollywood now embraces... Uh, as as a as a method of operation, you know that's that's the way they seem to to want to work. Um, so you know, it's uh, it, it's uh, it's not my favourite way of uh, making film. I get I get excited, and, I, and you know, look, I've been I've been offered many sequels and and, yeah. and comic book movies and 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 uh, stuff, and I, I can never get excited about those because for me, the fun of making a movie is originating. The visual ideas, and in many in many times the story itself, you know, and coming up with something new, you know, something that I'm excited about creating because it is new, you right. know. Um, right. Now, you can people can argue that you know many times as a filmmaker, you know, I fail to do that, but at least that's what I'm trying to do. Um, and so the notion of kind of plugging into an existing uh, 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 cinematic world to me, just it's just never exciting as a filmmaker. Well, if ambition is an albatross, you know, I always joke that Orson Welles was a failed filmmaker. He he once said um, he was asked he was once asked to describe his career. He said, "I started at the top and I worked my way down." You know, so I think th these words like success or failure, you know, are all within the eye of the beholder. I, I want to um, one thing you said about the crow that I thought was interesting at the time. I believe you were living in Los Angeles, and you talked a little bit about your frame of reference before making the film were comic books and maybe even graphic novels. And I, and I was wondering what 
were some of your early comic graphic novel turn-ons? Um, w- w- are we talking Jack Kirby? Are we talking Frank Miller? Are we talking uh, Alan Moore? W- what what comic books have kind of always turned you on as gra- you know, graphic precedents? Specifically, the French comic artists. Ah. In fact, I, I I've never been a big fan of um, of American comics. Um, really, I, I, you know. I guess I'm more of a fan of um, of uh, um, more recent. Uh, I guess they're called new wave comics. I don't I don't know what the what the term is. Underground comics. Um, but I've ne- I was never really a fan of of, of of the of the old fashioned DC Marvel school of right. of comic comics. You know, um, I was specifically influenced by um, heavy metal magazine. I, I was going to say, I'm thinking heavy metal. I'm thinking, yeah. you know, Hodorowski's Hodor- um, doing. Yeah, thought they were doing some really cool stuff. You yeah. know, um, yeah. and a lot of that was obviously adaptations of the French uh, the French comics. You know, and the and the Belgian comics. Um, and, uh, you know, Mobius in particular was a guy that uh, Amazing. I used to try and draw like him. You know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a bit of an artist and I used to copy his uh, his drawings and, and uh, uh, obviously failed miserably. At being <laughs> what about modern comics? Are there modern comics that uh, you gravitate towards or that, that have been catching your interest at all? And uh, do you do you read comics uh, on a on a daily not daily but on, on a modern basis on a contemporary basis? I really don't. Um, I'm I'm not a I'm not a big. Uh, I mean, I'm not much of a reader these days at all. And, and I guess I, I read ma- mainly um, uh, f- uh, factually based stuff. Um, uh, but uh, comics, I've never really been a, a big reader of. You know. Um, like this guy. You're holding up a book. For those of you who can't see, it's called Last Look. It seems to be a graphic novel by Charles Burns. Um, yeah, he's, he's really cool. I've been reading his stuff for, for years now. And, um, oh, how cool. He's really cool. Again, because it's, it's conceptual. It's, it's, it's ideas-based. It's not some, you know, and, I, and I, you know, look, I don't mean to poo-poo people's passions, but um, I, it's, it's not a guy dressed up in an outfit running around killing people, you know, jumping off buildings. It, it's... It's uh, very, very different to that. So it's not. It's that's not. That's a kind of fun too. You know? Yeah. No, no tights. No men in tights, please. We, we've no, had. No, we've no. had enough. Well, one more sub chapter, and then a couple of last thoughts. Uh, speaking with Alex Price, filmmaker, science fiction a de, de facto guru, uh, in my estimation. You know, it's funny we we're talking about Kubrick. I, I always when I think of the state of sci-fi, there's two things I look at. I look at. What are budget? How are budgets working in Hollywood or in filmmaking? And I also think of special effects. What is the state of special effects? So I want to break that down a little bit. You know, Kubrick did this really interesting thing, where when he would ask for a budget for a film, he would say, "Give me, let's say, eleven million dollars to make The Shining," but instead of a crew that's this big, give me a tenth of that crew and give me more time. Now Kubrick can do that, or certain filmmakers can do that. But do you think? A referendum on what what uh, sci-fi is made is also a referendum on time and space and individuality. I mean, you know, we're hiring filmmakers simply who want to play by the rules. Um, you, you know, how much of the state of sci-fi is governed by the body politic, you know, the Hollywood body politic? Do we have any filmmakers now who can command enough authority to carve out a niche in sci-fi? Um, it's a, it's a complicated question. Um, 
you know, there is obviously a, a, a very specific correlation between this, the, lev- the level of a budget and how much freedom as a filmmaker you, you are, you're allowed. Um, and at the same time, you know, science fiction, creating worlds, generally speaking, in movies is not a, not a cheap notion. It does uh, no. cost money precisely to do it well yeah and you know technology is obviously helping us but you know every every few years i wait for the moment where the price of visual effects is going to lower to allow me to do more and better visual effects at at a lesser cost and thereby allow me that extra freedom as a filmmaker um it doesn't seem to happen because it seems that uh as the technology itself becomes more affordable the labor still is what it is, and the labor is the main component. Yeah, yeah. And the time that it takes seems to be the same always, you know. Um, so, so it's 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 difficult, you know. It's a difficult scenario. Um, you know, Kubrick's notion was a was a, a brilliant one, and um, you know, I think the Coen brothers too, to a certain extent, manage yeah. the same yeah. equation, which is to allow themselves the freedom, you know, the, 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 the freedom of being on a set and having the time to think as a director and not be in, a, in, a, in an endless state, state of panic to get the day done um, is a wonderful situation. I've only felt it very rarely on my movies. It's usually, we're usually up against the, uh, up against the wall. And in fact, on Gods of Egypt, to get it done in the time that we had allocated, um, I had to employ multiple units, which I hate doing because it means I end up, well, I, what I end up doing is running between stages trying to manage all this other stuff that's going on. And we're talking about scenes with actors. We're not just talking about, right. you know. B-roll uh, or, or some uh, insert. Yeah. No, we're talking about performances. Yeah, scenes in the movie. Right, you know, and, right. And that's really a, a really unpleasant way of working. It's really not, not the way I like to work. So... You know, uh, I, I hope that, uh, you know, I, I keep looking for that holy grail, Robert, for that ability to spend more time with less um, and thereby create more. Um, and well, I hope on my next movie I will manage to do that. Well, you hit, in one, I hit on one widget that I want to pursue just for a moment and then we can round this out. And I appreciate Alex Proyas taking time in a very busy schedule. Special effects. Now, the, the genie of the that's been let out of the bottle is building things. You know, we're... We, we don't build things. What, what you did on Dark City and what Ridley has done with Blade Runner or Alien and other filmmakers, Terry Gilliam, you know, he probably still does it to a certain extent, but we don't build the effects anymore. Can we ever put the genie back in the bottle? Because um, that's also connected. Effects are connected to budget or connected to time. You know, this is all one pretzel logic. Where where are we with effects? Are we, uh, are we you know, because as you say, waiting for effects to get cheaper or better. Kubrick was waiting for effects to, to catch up with him to do AI. He never completed the film. I guess my point is, will we ever get to a place where effects resemble what you feel would be a fulfilling element of your vision? Can you avoid synthetic effects if you wanted to, Alex? Well, I think it, it's all an effect. It's all, it's all, <laughs> yes. there's nothing real in the film. Um, how you achieve it is, is kind of irrelevant, you know? Um, and, you know, people criticize, you know, the audiences are becoming very sophisticated or they think they're becoming very sophisticated and uh, people criticize, uh, 
a visual effect if it's not done in a, in a realistic way or the way that they expect it to be done. Um, but, you know, if they don't notice the effect, if, they, if it's something that's done well or it fits into the reality of the movie well, they don't criticise it. It can be still done in the same way. It's, you know, almost everything is done inside of a computer these days, right, you know. Right, um, so, so it's it's for me it's it's always been kind of irrelevant. You know, I remember, you know, when I was doing um, commercials back in, uh, you know, back in the day, and I was doing quite a quite a lot of visual effects based commercials. And in those days, we were doing finishing them on film. You know, we were doing them in the old fashioned way. We were building models, miniatures, and and uh, there was nothing done digitally. You know, and I occasionally would have a um, an agency person, uh, uh, an advertising agency person, stressing out over um, the, the the finished effect before they could see it, um, and I would often be asked, "Will it look real?" And my response to that was, "Well, what is real?" Exactly. You yeah. Know? yeah. Yeah. It's 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 all subjective. You know, it's a matter of a style of fitting into a certain stylistic approach. You know. Um, you look at the visual effects of the, as you know, we were talking about Star Wars, um, the original Star Wars. Uh, if you can ever see the original Star Wars, because it's obviously been re, re, uh, redone, and they probably weren't very good, at, but at the time they worked very well. You know, at the time they were completely convincing in this in the world of that movie. You know, and that, that's really all that all that matters. You know, so how how the effects are done, whether they're done digitally, whether they're done in the old-fashioned way in front of a camera, um, it, it really, to me, it's, it's, it's irrelevant. You know? Well, the way you discuss it, it's very demystifying. Do you think we should be teaching young filmmakers how to work with effects earlier in the trajectory? You, you trained as a filmmaker. Would it have been any value to you? I mean, this is the thing. Why teach something to someone now that'll change in a year? But do you think we should teach the interfacing of technology and art earlier in a form of training to young filmmakers? Because technology can be very intimidating, as, as you would probably yeah. validate. But I think it's happening organically. I think it is happening uh, because people, you know, people can do these very uh, complex effects now on their laptops at mm -hmm. home, you right. know. Right, um, right. What, what could only dream of doing with an entire professional uh, VFX company behind us only a few years ago, you know. So people are, are organically doing that, you know. Um, I came from another kind of organic approach. I was doing such low-budget stuff when I first started. You know, you had to be the jack of all trades. You had to, you had to know how to do everything, you know. Uh, you know, you had to hold the spacecraft <laughs> the, the John the John Carpenter school of filmmaking, yes. <laughs> so, so that that was its own training, right? Um, right. And you know, so often, you know, again, in terms of a rea creating a reality, you know, we would try and and make create artifice in the seat in the scene. I mean, I, I like vis I like stylized visuals anyway. So we try to make the real stuff, the so called real stuff, the live action stuff more artificial looking yeah. so that the artificial looking VFX would cut in well, you know, interesting. if that makes oh, sense. Oh, complete sense. That's an um, interesting strategy. It was, it, yeah. was, it was trickery, you know, it was, it was trickery. It was, it was uh, um, a way of making it all come together, you know. But I think, uh, you know, just to answer your question specifically, um, I, I think, you know, younger filmmakers ask, uh, you know, if, if their minds are in that world, of creating realities, um, 
then I think they're learning in their own organic way right now, you know, which I think is, a, is an encouraging thing, really. And, and as you suggest, we don't want the, ta- the, the tail to wag the dog. We want to teach filmmakers craft and the other stuff are layers of an onion. But if, 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 you know, if my filmmakers are asking me too much about which cool camera they should buy, I think their heads are in, a, in the wrong place. Just as an outro, Alex, um, we've been with Alex Proyas. What about sci-fi on a smaller screen? Do you think it, it's nesting well, or do you think it's still a domain of a terrestrial cinema experience optimally, sci-fi? You know, I'm I'm not a big TV watcher. I, I find for some reason I I I've never really embraced episodic television. Um, having said that, though, I I know right now with the way big budget Hollywood movies are going, which is an increasing having an increasingly hard time on the big screen uh, in terms of getting people to original getting an audience for anything that is original and high concept it's 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 increasingly hard um unless it's a sequel or a franchise or what have you you know tv or or streaming uh uh is a is a new domain that i think is very exciting um it's it's you know it's a it's allowing the ex the, the more a thorough exploration of ideas, and so I think it's very well suited to science fiction and fantasy. You know, I think it's a it's a it's a really good medium. Um, the, the 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 project I'm working on at the moment, and it just worked out this way. I didn't intend it. I started writing a script, um, which is a uh, it's a it's a story about parallel universes, and I just kept writing, and and my first draft ended up being something like a ridiculous. 200 long pages. <laughs> well, I've actually written something that I can never condense down into a two-hour movie. It's how, just not how exciting. How this exciting. is too complex. So I am I am now exploring the notion of, you know, a limited series approach. You know, breaking it down into uh, into um, three episodes or three movies or whatever it's going to be. Oh, um, cool, man. Very cool. So, so, and it's exciting me because I think it is a, it is a way to get some ideas through the pipeline that are perhaps not just not ever going to be seen on a big screen. With, with, with that viscosity, would you ever publish a novel? Would you ever write a novel? Um, I, I, I started off wanting to be a novelist because that's kind of what uh, the medium that, it, that it's excited me. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I was thrilled when uh, someone did a novelization of, of, of Dark City and the paperback came out and it had my name on it based on a screenplay by me. So just how cool just the yeah. name on a, on a book was really thrilling to me. You know? Right, right. Uh, so, yes, uh, you know, look, I, I, it's always about how confident you are about doing something. I've spent decades writing scripts and, and my, 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 my writing style is, I, I believe, is is suited well to it. I'm a bit, I'm lazy when it comes to describing people's inner um, emotions because I feel like we'll work that stuff out on the set or with, I'll work that stuff out with the actors, you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, my, I, my accomplices in, 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 in sorting that stuff out. So the idea of writing that all out, and it's, you know, I'm being facetious. No, I'm of, not course, of course, out, of course. But, but the idea of writing it all out is, is to me, hard work you know as, as a writer and I and I write very slowly 
anyway, so God knows how long it would take me to write a novel, you know. Um, but, but um, you, you know, maybe one day, maybe uh, maybe years years from now, I'll have the, the time and the inclination to, to do that. I'd in, cl- to. in closing, you tweeted out this really amazing photo of uh, four, the four uh, superheroes on a bench not too long ago, and it, uh, it said, are we getting tired of them yet? And uh, I, I guess uh, I thought two things. I thought maybe this is a project for Alex. Maybe the, the Super Friends and the, the, J- the Justice League is old men. But I, I guess the real question is, uh, of, of all the superheroes in the realm, which one, is there a, is there a character that m- most magnetizes you? I mean, we all have that one character that, oh, it would be Aquaman or, whomever, or Iron Man or whomever. Is there a character that mesmerizes you amongst the other... Superheroes. Oh look, you know, I, I've I've um I've come close with a couple of projects over the years. You know, Watchmen is something that I was going to do for a while. You right. know, um, and that was the that was one of the many versions of Watchmen. Uh, it was straight after um after um iRobot. In fact, they wanted me to do Watchmen, and really, and I honestly just didn't have the energy. I, I like I like the comic, you know, because it is. Uh, subversive. It's not, uh, you know, it's 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 a it's a very original comic, you know. Um, but I didn't have the energy after my very unpleasant experience making a big studio movie with 20th Century Fox, you know. Um, and and only recently I was asked to uh, to, uh, to talk about doing uh, the movie that ended up being Superman, Man of Steel, Man of Steel. Man of Steel. Right. Um, you know, I like Superman as a character I've always been intrigued by because he is the ultimate superhero and making a, uh, a movie about a guy who is invincible is really a challenge, you know. Um, so I was I was interested in embracing that that um, that challenge, you know, but it didn't it didn't work out for very many reasons, you know. So. In closing, I thought of you the other day. Uh, I was thinking about some of my favorite Stanley Kubrick interviews, and uh, someone once asked him, "Have you ever learned anything from a film critic?" He said, "Well, when a film critic has watched my movies as many times as I have, then I'll start listening to film critics." Um, I want to thank you, Alex Proyas, for being here uh, with us today on Murmur. Um, if we could be of any assistance or advocacy here in the states, man, you have a lot of fans here. You are a craftsman of the highest order, and. Uh, May you continue to to plot a very unique course and never fear failure. Uh, thank you, Alex, for being with us. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Cheers, my friend. Whenever life gets you down, Mrs. Brown, and things seem hard or tough, and people are stupid, obnoxious or daft, and you feel that you've had quite enough. Just remember that you're standing on a planet that's evolving and revolving at 900 miles an hour. That's orbiting at 19 miles a second, so it's reckoned a sun that is the source of all our power. The sun and you and me and all the stars that we can see are moving at a million miles a day. In an outer spiral arm at 40,000 miles an hour, the galaxy we call the Milky Way. Our galaxy itself contains a hundred billion stars. It's a hundred thousand light years side to side. 
Bulges in the middle, 16,000 light years thick, but out by us it's just 3,000 light years wide. We're 30,000 light years from galactic central point. We go round every 200 million years. And our galaxy is only one of millions of billions in this amazing and expanding universe. on expanding and expanding in all of the directions it can whiz as fast as it can go at the speed of light you know 12 million miles a minute and that's the fastest speed there is so remember when you're feeling very small and insecure how amazingly unlikely is your birth and pray that there's intelligent life somewhere up in space cause there's bugger all down here on earth she feels so sort of insignificant, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Can we have your liver then? Yeah, all right. You talked me into it. It's funny about science fiction. One of the one of the um one of the blocks to science fiction for young filmmakers is budgetarily it's hard. I mean, it's it's a Herculean effort to make a low-budget science fiction movie. A film that did it really well is the film Primer, say Primer 2008, 2009, early uh, pre-2010. And one of the things Primer did really well is science. It's sort of the metaphysics of science fiction in the sense of if I say, if you're watching my movie and I say what you're staring at, somehow if I suggest that you're, what you're staring at is the future, then it's my responsibility as the creator of that environment to convince you. So in the convincing is the metaphysical act and the result is science fiction. So science fiction doesn't need spaceship and stars. It doesn't need Strauss and twirling spaceships. It, do, it doesn't need Hal. Now it can have Hal. But how can be another metaphysical device. So science fiction for a lower budget entry, as a lower budget entry point, as a young filmmaker approach is doable. Neil Blumenkamp, who did um, District 9. District 9 is, to me, one of the great modern science fiction films. And even, even Chappie, which I don't think is a great film, is is really there's so many. There are a lot of interesting ideas in it, and I think he's doing the next Alien film. District Nine. Those Neil and the his the creators, the co-creators of the film, came out of the I believe the Vancouver Film School or the Vancouver School of Film, and I believe District Nine was a shorter film project. So, you know, ultimately science fiction, and again, one of the things that makes it Teflon. Teflon-like in cinematically is it is an experiment, but you you truly it gets the filmmaker back to the really basic suspension of belief or disbelief. 
the suspension of disbelief. And so it is the filmmaker's responsibility to convince you to author an authenticity, a, a world of authenticity, and therein is the science fiction contract. Now, that's not simply a science fiction piece. That's you know a horror film piece, westerns, and we're going to tackle these genres, these state of genres, state of talks in later episodes of Murmur. But I think science fiction seems very overwhelming to young filmmakers. I was thinking of Dark Star, which was a John Carpenter early John Carpenter film uh, and the DNA of alien f- cinematically is comes out of dark star. Now dark star was a sort of tongue in cheek sci-fi, but it lives as a science fiction work of art. So science fiction, if we, if we, if we take the premise or if we redesign the premise that science fiction is space and creatures, science fiction can be something else. You know, staying with John Carpenter, They Live, great film. Now, obviously, there are pieces of of high of a high budgetary signature in They Live, but if you watch They Live again, the ethos is very fabricated, and it's not it's not synthesis, it's not synthetic imagery of a literal quality. It's literal, but again, it's how does the filmmaker, how do the creators, you know, how did we design the agreement that you're going to have to sign, you know, and that's really what it is. It's a contract. So they're going to have to put this agreement together in such a way. It's not going to be a perfect agreement. You're going to have, like every negotiation, you're going to have to give something to get something. Filmmaker is too. But that's really science fiction. Science fiction puts that heat on a subject. But right now, one of the one of the delusionary and the distracting elements of science fiction for young filmmakers, particularly, is budget. And as it goes into TV scapes, it becomes even more traumatic because the budgets of TV shows are going up. But when you watch Ex Machina, which is a great film, I don't think anyone would argue that it's science fiction. It can be intimidating. But again. Can we create a different environment? Locations in Ex Machina are so exquisite. Post-production effects aside, it's it's a great film to study once again, and it's very performance-driven, uh, which is important to any filmmaker to keep you in touch with that. We want to thank Alex Proyas uh, for keeping us in touch with the state of science fiction. Really nice of him to take time out. Uh, Murmur Radio, every week live on WHUPLP Hillsboro. MurmurRadio.com is the website. Email us, MurmurRadio at gmail.com. We'll be in Boston March 1st, Chicago sometime in April and in May. You can listen to us anytime, anyway. And we're humbled that you would. Thanks again. Thanks again.